Well, g'day, I'm Sam. And I'm Mike. And we are the Extras. The Extras. Here we are. Welcome. Episode 5, Mike. We've made it thus far. Yeah. They said we'd never make it this far. Yeah. Um, we, here we are. <laughs> now, wait, we've got heaps to do today, so... Ooh, yeah. Uh, if you're listening along, this is going to be the best three hours of your life. <laughs> oh dear. Mm. But uh, yeah, plenty of questions to go. Because uh, you were talking about some big areas. You, you mentioned uh, Sunday night. If last week was all about sex and we thought that was a big idea, this week we're talking about money, time and relationships. Uh, and there were lots of questions about those three things. Lots of questions. So the big idea for Sunday, those who missed it, uh, is that we can and we should worship God by being wise with our money, with our time, and with our relationships. And Proverbs gave us kind of three negative examples uh, to teach us positive wisdom on those three important issues. Mm. So we've kind of grouped the questions today around those three topics. Uh, First set will be on money, and then on time and the slacker, and uh, then finally on relationships and some of those areas around conflict. So we'll we'll sort of work through it in that way. so we'll dive straight in, Mike, yep. and uh, we've got a, a question here on, on money, particularly with about giving to church. And one of the things you mentioned in your talk on Sunday night was this thing called the 80-20 rule, that uh, 20% of the people give 80% of the money. Likewise, in serving, often 20% of the people do 80% of the work, Yep. Um, and the other 20% is picked up by the other 80% of people. <laughs> and yep. so there's a disproportional ratio of, of money given and work done within a church. Um, someone's asking, perhaps a bit of a clarifier, maybe even pushing back on that a little bit, going, yep. is that just because those that 20% have the most money and therefore give the most, and therefore the other 80% don't have much money and therefore don't give very much? Um, does that explain the 80-20 rule, or is there something more here? Yeah, I'm not convinced it does uh, speak to this 80-20 rule. Um, it seems to be um, that the issue isn't so much capacity to give, but actually maturity of faith that leads you to give. Um, and so, uh, yeah, some people who perhaps don't aren't the richest of our members uh, are still giving huge amounts, and perhaps some people who are uh, more well-off than others aren't necessarily giving um, uh, uh, as part of the 80%. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, we know statistically, we don't know as the ministers who gives what, uh, but we, we do know the number of giving units and we, we know uh, that giving units being how many people are giving. Yep. Um, and we know for a fact that at Night Church there are many people who don't give at this stage. Uh, yeah, so we, we kind of looked at the numbers of, of Night Church just as an example. Mm. Um, so Sam, we worked out that last year Night Church gave $320,000. Yeah, which we're thankful for. That's that's fantastic. Absolutely. Um, so over a, a year, that means we're giving roughly $1,400 a week. Per, per person, if, if we average that out. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's right. Sorry. Yep. Um, and so per person, that's about, on average, $27 a week. Now, does that sound kind of... A good amount, Sam, do you think? Well, I mean, we were playing around with the figures on this before. And again, we, we are aware not everybody has the same income and some earn much more and some earn much less. But we think, knowing the makeup of Night Church, if $27 a week is our average giving, and let's just say for argument's sake that you are giving around 10% um, to church, I think you should be giving more than 10% to be honest. We give more than 10% of our income away, and I think that's healthy and good. Mm. Um, but let's say you're giving 10% to church then that would mean that the average income, if you averaged all of our incomes out, would be $270 a week. Now, 
I just don't think that's the case for Nightchurch. <laughs> no. You're saying the dole gives you more than that. That's right. right? You, you, and more if you're on the dole than that. Yeah, and 20. so if we all just quit what we're doing and we're on the dole and gave 10% of that away, we should be given a little bit more than what we're giving currently. And so I think what we have here, we, we may not be the 80-20 church, but I think I know there are some phenomenally generous givers at Nightchurch who I praise God for. Mm. But I think they are doing the, the lion's share of the work. And there are many... I think there are many who are giving less than $27 a week. Um, yep. Some giving none, some giving uh, not much at all. And, and I think for most university students, uh, young workers, I think we can be giving proportionally much more than that. And, and I, I think I was really glad as a young uni student that someone challenged me on this whole area of life and, and challenged me from a young age to be giving 10%. And, and I've actually been able to, Soph and I have been able to increase that over the years. I think we, this year we worked it out we're given somewhere in the order of 15, 16% this year. Um, and, and you know what? At, at one level, we don't even miss it. And, mm. and I think we, we could continue to give more. Um, and and I, I'm grateful that someone challenged me with that. And I think I want to be challenging our um, people at church to, to keep yeah thinking hard about their giving and giving more. So back to the question, the disparity. Um, I think we want to say, yeah, we want to kind of... Uh, create a, a more level giving um, across the board. And so if you're someone who hasn't started giving yet, we'd strongly encourage you to do that as one way to honour the Lord with your wealth. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, perhaps we could all consider, is there more we could give yeah. in light of uh, the wisdom of Proverbs? And that's not, that's ultimately because we want to honour the Lord with our wealth. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Mike, we've got some other questions on money, uh, but they all turn to the to the topic of property, which I guess being a church in Sydney, um, <laughs> that's something that's kind of big on our radar. Um, so let me hit you with the first one here. It's straight out. Do you think it's godly to buy a house in Sydney? Um, the, the question has in brackets, uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1, and then Proverbs chapter 22, both of which talk about um, issues around being a borrower or ha- having a loan made to you. And, and the question then goes on to say, is it a godly thing to do if you need a loan or should you in place of that just rent here or should you leave Sydney full stop? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A really good question. I think the issue in Proverbs isn't that you shouldn't go into debt full stop. What it's saying is um, don't do it unwisely or um, in a risky manner or in a gullible way. Um, particularly kind of don't put up security for a stranger is Proverbs chapter 6 verse 1. And so God wants us to be wise with our money and not be um, gullible, uh, not gamble away our money. Um, so the issue is uh, unwise loans. Now, then you've got to ask the question, well, is getting a loan to buy a house in Sydney a wise or an unwise loan? Um, and I don't think there's anything in Proverbs that says it's unwise to go into debt to buy a place to live so that you can look after your family, so you can offer hospitality, so that you can look after your neighbours, so that you can use it for ministry, mm. all those kind of things. I don't think that is an ungodly thing to do. Mm. So Proverbs 22 verses 26 and 27 are the ones mentioned in the question here. They do say to worry about a, um, a loan, um, but only if it's a foolish loan that you can't repay. And so it would be foolish if you were going to buy a house in Sydney and the property price is $1.5 million and you are a university student earning $20,000 a year (laughs) and you sign on with the bank that you are going to repay that money and you just don't have the means to repay it. 
Proverbs would say you're a fool. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you'll end up getting bankrupt and taken to the cleaner, and even the bed that you sleep on will be taken. Uh, that would be foolish. But if you're a person and you've got a good-sized deposit and you've saved and worked hard for that and you've got the income to fund the loan and you've done your sum so that even if interest rates go up, you can afford it, um, there's nothing inherently unwise about that. In fact, there may actually be wisdom in that, knowing that... Um, in the future, you'll have a house to live in um, once you once you finish working and you can live without needing to pay rent in your 80s. And uh, so there, there, there may be wisdom, but you've got to think it through. And um, obviously, everyone's circumstances a little bit different. And what may be wise for one person may be unwise for another. And so maybe if you're not sure, uh, don't go to the end. Go to the accountant. Hey, <laughs> oh, my uh, awful, awful. Sorry, but you know, it's Proverbs, it's wisdom. <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, just on a personal anecdote, um, we bought a house last year and uh, we'd been thinking about buying a house for almost five or six years and it was, you know, we went to the bank five years ago and they said to us, well, you can borrow $300,000 and then they laughed at us when we said we wanted to buy in this area and they were right. Um, and so we had to do some work and think about some other things and work out some ways to increase our, our income. Then we could go back to them and they said, you know what, you actually could afford to do this now and you've got a deposit that would actually be... My, and, this, and, and at the same time, we talked to some other Christians, some wiser people, I talked to my parents and nice. together we worked it all out and I got lots of wisdom and now I think we've made a really good decision. Sounds great. Sounds great. Uh, but following on from that, we've got another question here, Mike. Yep. Um, what about an investment property? Uh, what is doing that for the sake of profit? Is that an example of being a financial fool? Again, it comes down to motive, I think, this question. Um, there's nothing wrong with uh, investing for profit um, if your motivation is to use that profit to honour the Lord. If you want to use that profit, um, not just for your own selfishness, but to be generous to the poor and to give to others, um, I think it comes down to motive, most of all. Yeah, I think that's right. And, I mean, at one level, working a job is an investment of, of, of a kind, it's, but it's an investment of time, knowing that a reward will come to you, and with that reward, you both honour the Lord and look after your needs and do all the things that Proverbs says for you to do. Yep. And I take it that an investment of an investment property, if that's the kind of investment that you want to make, that's an investment of another kind, not of time, but of money that you've got. And if you could honour the Lord with that, you know, make sure that you're a good landlord and you, um, when, when you do sell the property in time, that you honour the Lord with, with, with that in a way. Um, you might. I know people who have invested in property in or around Newtown uh, in order that more college students can live in it. And yes, they'll get a capital gain at the time, but they honour the Lord by offering cheap rent to people studying at Bible College and different things like that. There, there are. It's not necessarily a wrong thing to do, is it? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, someone's asked about uh, the idea of being trapped by your neighbour uh, in chapter 6, verse 2. That seems a little bit like a mortgage in today's time. <laughs> um, do you have anything to comment on that construct in, in light of chapter 6? Is, is that a right way of thinking about it? Is a mortgage a trap? Again, I think the context of Proverbs chapter 6 is an unwise investment, uh, a foolish investment of um, putting up security for a stranger. Like, I mean, how weird would that be? Just someone, you know, knocks on your door and says, can I have a loan for... Or can you get security on my mortgage for that's me? That's it, that's it. I mean, so it's it's not that the problem is... So the, the issue is uh, wisdom in terms of not wanting to trap yourself with an unwise investment, a risky investment, uh, an investment with someone you don't even know. And I don't think a mortgage fits into that category. Okay. 
really helpful. Okay, we're going to move from money now into time. Time, the slacker. Yeah. Um, the sluggard. So start, this one's a bit of a comment, but maybe you can give us a, a, your own comment on this. Um, someone's texted in and said, look, it might be helpful, Mike, to clarify that the slacker is not the same as someone perhaps struggling with depression or a mental illness, even though they may present in similar ways. So someone... You know, the Proverbs talk about the person who just turns on a hinge, like in their bed, like yeah. a door on its hinges. Yep, yep. Um, and someone with depression may struggle to get out of bed in the morning. Um, but the person with depression, are they a slacker or is there is there a difference there? Um, can you help us? Yep, thank you. Thanks for the clarifying question because we all know that depression and mental illness are real issues for a real lot of people. Um, and so let me clarify by saying the slacker isn't the person with depression or mental illness. Um, there is a distinction there um, in terms of what Proverbs 6 is talking about. Um, and so, again, it comes down to kind of uh, motivation or, or what's going on in the heart. Obviously, someone who is sick and depression and mental illness are a sickness, um, just like someone who has a cold um, needs to rest and just aren't able to work the same as someone who is fully healthy. Uh, but we, we also want to say, for those people who do struggle with depression and mental illness... Um, a lot of the research and a lot of the experts are saying um, some of the ways to kind of overcome or, or to deal well with depression and mental illness is actually to kind of get busy, uh, to get serving, to get active, to get physical, to exercise, to, to do. Um, and so there's a, there's a fine line there, isn't there? And I'm not the expert, but um, uh, I guess we don't want to kind of say just because we've got depression and mental illness that that means that there's still not wisdom in terms of going to the ant and learning from the ant that we can take on board. Yeah, it's interesting. I was chatting with someone from St Paul's actually who um, knew that in the past that they were depressed and they were struggling in this area. And having now come through that, looking back with a bit of hindsight, they actually said, look, I was depressed, but I, w I was also a bit of a slacker and I, I mm. just couldn't get going. I, I didn't mm. take the step early enough of going to the doctor. I didn't take the step early enough of doing some exercise. And now that I've done those things, and they've done a lot more than that, um, and, and it had taken some time, but they, they, they saw a combination of the two. And so just like the healthy person can be a slacker, I take it, Absolutely. saying this kindly and gently, sometimes someone with depression <laughs> could also be a slacker too. Um, but... Yeah, we, we've got to be careful at that at that point, and maybe the answer is to um, know yourself, but also be known in community and have others who know you help you with this. I mean, we we keep coming back to this, don't we? Uh, look <laughs> for wisdom among others and get them to speak into your life and and be known that they might be able to help you um, sort of understand yourself and where you're at in that regard. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Okay, uh, another question on. Um, being a slacker, someone's asking, what if I'm productive at one thing, perhaps a good thing, at the expense of being slack in another, perhaps something I don't like doing? For example, slack in uni study so that I can spend more time evangelizing at uni. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, look, life isn't that kind of compartmentalized. I, it's not that we can just be Christian in one part of our life and not in another. No, we actually want to be consistent. We want to be people with integrity. We want our whole life to be work as to the Lord and we want our whole life to um, preach the gospel. Uh, and so I think the ideal is within wisdom in Proverbs is that our whole life um, 
remember, and Proverbs says, you know, that there's there's no part of life that God isn't interested in. He's interested in every aspect of our life, and every aspect of our life should be in worshipful submission to God through faith in Jesus. Um, so I don't think we can kind of excuse ourselves being slack in one area because we're working hard in something like evangelism. I just don't think the, the gospel is going to let us uh, have, have that. Yeah, and even really our, our example to those we are evangelizing, for example, that is that is. Um, part of the way we live our life is part of our witness to them. And Absolutely. so if we're there going, look, come and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so you can be like me and they look at you and you think, well, you're a bum. And I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be like, you're failing everything and you're doing Maths 101 for the fourth time. I don't want to be like you. Uh, our whole life is a witness, not just our words. That's it. And, um, and I liked your language on Sunday night. We can't have pockets of being a slacker. It's funny when I was telling Soph about your sermon on Sunday night, debriefing on Sunday night, she's like, Mike Everett, what, what would he know about this, being a slacker? The only thing he's, he's ever not completed is the warped wall. <laughs> oh, that is hard. <laughs> Thanks, Soph. No, no, I think so it, was you're a, my friend, so. it was a backhanded compliment, mate. She, uh, she sees you as a guy who, who's consistent in, in all but one area. Oh, yeah. Anyway, all right, let me yeah, move thanks. us along. Yeah, thanks. Uh, next question on this is... Um, do you ever read self-help style books on productivity in the same vein as you know Seven Habits of Highly Effective uh, People? Uh, do you think Christians should, or is the Bible sufficient to learn what we need to learn on this topic? Mike, you ever, you ever read <laughs> Seven Habits? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me kind of answer the, the question in reverse. Um, is the Bible sufficient? Absolutely. Yes, it is God's Word. It is useful for you, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. We've got everything we need for life and godliness in the Scripture. Mm. So the Bible is sufficient. And yet, when you read the Bible, it says, go to the end. In other words, the Bible tells us that we can learn from wisdom within the created order. And so, yes, I do read self-help books. And uh, I've learned a lot from them because they often just uh, highlight the wisdom that is inherent in creation because God put it there. Uh, more on Proverbs chapter 8 this week. Um, so I think they are, the Bible is sufficient, but the Bible points us to we can learn from wisdom in the world and self-help books are often a great place for wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, personally, I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I read it two years ago. It's a little bit dated now, um, but it's a very helpful book. It's not a Christian book, and so you do need to read it with your Christian worldview kind of over it. Um, mm. I've read, we've read some other stuff as a team here at St. Paul's. You know, um, Lencioni has a book about five dysfunctions of a team, and you know, part of just learning from these people who understand how human interactions work, how to be productive, it's very useful. Absolutely. There's a book that I want to recommend, though. It's called Wisdom in Leadership. It's by a, a, a pastor out in the western suburbs by the name of Craig Hamilton. Um, and it, what Craig has done is he's kind of gathered much of the kind of self-help thinking, the leadership thinking, the, all of that productivity thinking that's out there in all those books. And he's gathered it together under under a kind of Christian worldview and kind of taken the best of what the world has to offer on this and um, put it all in one place called Wisdom in Leadership. And I want to, we'll put that, uh, the, the, a link in the comments to that. Mm. Um, really want to commend that to you. We read that as a staff team. It's a great, great book. I last learned year. so much. I was mm. doing such a pathetic job <laughs> leading, but now I'm doing slightly less. Yeah. No, it was a really helpful book. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, they're, they're helpful um, with the Bible as our foundation and our bedrock of all things. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, uh, two questions here that are sort of connected. Uh, the first one is, 
look, these days it always feels like there's more that we could be doing, whether in life mm. or in ministry. How do I then decide kind of what to say no to it? And, and if I take some rest, is that laziness? And mm. then similar to that, is it okay to take some time off things to say no and to have some time for yourself? And does that just then depend on what I'm saying no to and skipping out on? Or should I think about, you know, how much energy I've got left? How do I know to give to something, give myself to something or not? Mike, how do we think about this? Yeah, thanks. I mean, again, these topics of work and time are so huge and I couldn't say everything from Proverbs. Um, I want to say really loud and clear, rest is awesome. Mm. Rest is a great gift from God. And, uh, the you know, six days of work, uh, seventh day rest is just spectacular. It's a high point of creation. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love my day off. Um, and so rest isn't laziness. Rest is obedience. And actually, I think it's an area of obedience that we struggle with yeah. um, today as Christians, uh, just to take a day off and, and um, uh, not do work is, is very difficult to do. Rest is not laziness. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you work out you know, what to do and what not to do? Well, that, that comes down to priorities. And the mature Christian is always going to be thinking in terms of gospel priorities and seeking first the kingdom um, and having kingdom things as the first things in the diary, first things in the, in the calendar, the, 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 the first fruits, if you like, of our time need to go to God. Mm. Um, and so we need to make sure that we're growing in kingdom priorities. And that's how we're going to work out how to say what, what, oh, sorry, what to say yes to, what to say no to. Mm. Um, yeah, that's what I'd yeah. say. I mean, I remember as a younger man um, at this church, actually, James Warren, who used to be one of the ministers here, um, discipling me as a young man and um, he said to me you, you need to think about your diary the same way you, you think about your money with your money you give your first fruits to God so carve out the 10% carve out that and give that to God and then the rest is yours to spend as you need and it's it's part of God's goodness to you it's the same with your calendar put church in first then put growth group in second then put thing, then how you're going to serve the Lord in whether that's in a structured ministry or whatever that is and then the rest of your time is yours to do with as you want um sometimes I think we get it backwards where we go, well, these are the shifts that work is telling me I must mm-hmm. work and that they go in first and then here's yep. where I've got to be at uni and here's my study timetable and that goes in second and then, oh, I can't really fit church this week or growth group, that's going to have to take a back seat. Um, and I think we're upside down sometimes in the way Often. we, we yeah. plan it. So it's, it's sort of putting the big things in first and that's church and growth group and serving the Lord and then putting the rest around it. Yep. And I'd say, and putting your rest day as well putting your re- as, a, as a priority. That's a really helpful clarification. Thank you. Yeah. All right, we'll move on. Last one on, on slackers. Um, you mentioned about being slack towards church attendance in your talk on Sunday. Um, how would you give an answer to someone who would argue that church, look, that's just meeting up with other Christians to grow and encourage each other in the face. And look, you could do that by going to Bible study regularly or maybe going to a, another smaller Christian-based community. Maybe go to the public meeting at uni or the Bible study that meets at work. Um, and that, that's it. I'm kind of done for my Christian content for the week. Uh, I don't really need to go to church. Is that right? I think church and growth groups are both wonderful ways for Christians to get together and encourage each other and grow in the faith. Um, there is something unique about church, isn't it? The way we do church in that church is a public meeting. Uh, it's a place of public proclamation. It's a place where we publicly preach the word with kind of authority um, and it's also a place, perhaps again more than in a growth group, where there are outsiders present. 
Um, that's always the assumption. You read 1 Corinthians 14. The mm. assumption is whenever the, the gospel is preached in a public setting, um, non-believers will come in. Uh, and so because of those um, elements of church, the public proclamation, the public preaching with authority, the, the, the presence of the outsider, uh, I'd say to the question, um, growth group or small groups isn't enough. You, you do need church attendance. Um, and so that's something that we want our partners here at St. Paul's to be committed to. Mm. So it's not an either or? No. Um, I've, got, I've got my Christian content for the week. I've ticked, I've ticked that box. No, it's both end. Um, and the public meeting as well as the, the private small uh, meeting where you're wrestling with the word, both matter and both are important. Yeah, and we want everyone at St. Paul's to be at church every week. And in a growth group every week. Mm, yeah, and that's that's a challenge because I mean we know again statistically that sometimes the statistics are two out of three weeks that people come. There are plenty who come every week, but yep. there is this trend of look, I'm there two out of three, and that's enough. And I wonder actually if people realise that if they are only coming two out of three, they they might actually think they're coming more than that. But yeah. um, in terms of uh, the kind of the numbers of, of people mm. that come each Sunday, mm. um, compared to the number of people on our rolls at at uh, St Paul's, it, mm. it, it is kind of two two out of three that people come, which yeah. is um, yeah, which is not great. Mm. Uh, yeah. But thanks for the question. All right, mm. that's we're rounding the, the the home straight here, Mike. We're, yep. we're done on money. We're done on slackers. Now let's turn to the easy topic of relationships. <laughs> it's totally straight ahead. Yeah, it's just all downhill from here. Um, the first one is you mentioned on Sunday night. God hates disunity. Yeah, and detests detests it. Yeah. Um, well, then what about Christian disunity? Um, for example, there are different theological viewpoints, and they've now formed up different denominations. Is that an issue that we should be trying to correct? Hmm. Yeah. Look, uh, what we want to strive for, and, and indeed what, what Jesus actually prayed for in John 17, is that we would be one. I mean, that, that's the ideal. That's why Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, is to create for himself a, a, a bride, a united bride, a one new person, um, and so unity is the goal of the gospel. Um, but real unity only comes through the truth of the gospel. Um, and so the way that we kind of need to view different theological viewpoints and different denominations is, okay, how does the truth of the gospel uh, impact uh, these differences? In other words, we need to fight for the truth. We need to proclaim the truth. We need to live out the truth. Um, and really, that's the only way that Christians will be unified. Any other kind of unification that's not around Christ, around the gospel, isn't going to be real unity. It, it's just a fake. Mm. Um, and so we have to fight for the truth. Now, of course, sometimes that actually leads to more, divi- to, to more division. Um, I guess you could think of the Reformation as, a, mm-hmm. as the kind of classic example where Luther and Calvin fought for the truth, and um, that did lead to unity at one level, but also, of course, it led to some disunity as some people who didn't agree with the truth um, went different ways. And it's interesting, I mean, I don't know how well many people have read their church history, but one of the reasons that our arm of the church is called the Protestant Church is that it was not just a schism, but a protest. Uh, and that's what that's the basis of the word Protestant. Yeah. Um, mm. And it was Luther and Calvin and those who were with them saying, look, we are standing in protest with the Roman Catholic Church. Um, but the goal was always that the church would unite. 
one day. And, and I trust that that is still the hope, that those in the Roman Catholic Church would see the truth of the gospel and would repent of some of the, the false doctrines that are, that are held and preached and taught in that denomination and that the, the, the protest would, I guess, be over one day. <laughs> That'd um, be nice. Ultimately, that, that'll be the case in heaven. Um, but that is, that is, I think the goal is to be united. And one of the wonderful things about at least the Protestant church in Sydney is that while you have Presbyterians and Baptists and Anglicans and you know other independent um, uh, churches, uh, it, there is a wonderful sense of unity among those uh, those those bodies um, because they believe together on the same doctrines about the gospel and Jesus. Um, I went to preach last Sunday morning at, at a Presbyter- local Presbyterian church. They Terrific. invited me as an Anglican minister yeah. uh, because we, we believe the, same, our, the way we do church really is one of the, the, the differences. Um, the way we do church governance and those kind of things, we're different, but the things we believe about Jesus, we have unity and therefore we can actually partner with each other and they can have me in to preach and I'd be very happy to have some of their people in to preach at our church if the need arose. So yeah, there, there is, I think we do, largely in the Protestant denominations, we are quite well united and together and I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Mike, uh, This actually this is our last question, last here we question. go. Um, now, someone's coming, uh, thinking about the idea of discord and in relationships um, and we talked a little bit about um, that with each other when, when there is discord. And the question has come, are there wise ways to express hurt and um, rebuke sin in ways that don't cause disunity um, and don't result in broken relationships? Yeah, what a wise question, someone wanting to do that. Uh, the short answer is yes, there are ways. In fact, there's probably lots and lots and lots of ways. But let me just kind of give you two from Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Uh, so one, one, one wise way to express hurt and rebuke sin is to do it gently. Um, and of course, when I'm hurt, my, my normal sinful response is to bite back with harsh words. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> wisdom would say, answer gently. Um, and so answer with grace, answer with offering forgiveness, um, uh, answer gently um, is one way um, to be wise. Uh, Another proverb is Proverbs 27 verse 6. Um, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Um, I guess this is taking it from from the other side of the relationship. If someone comes to you and expresses hurt to you or rebukes you for your sin, um, uh, our natural response is to put our defenses up and to, again to bite back. Um, but wisdom would say in Proverbs twenty seven six, no, see those wounds as uh, as some something from a friend and, and trust them. Don't. Don't uh, disregard them. Don't write them off. Um, actually, take that as, as, as an act of love um, and accept it um, as, an act of, uh, as an act of love from the other person. Mm. And I take it that that also means that if we are the one raising a concern with someone else, it does need to be done in love. Um, sometimes what can be the problem is that we are frustrated and therefore we just want to get it off our chest. We just want them to know that you have hurt me and I'm upset with you. Yep. Uh, and so we, like you said, we lash out. But 
Proverbs sort of <clears throat> talks about this idea of wounding a friend, which is to, to, to help them to see what they've done wrong. But the goal is that they would grow and that they would repent and that, they, that there'd then be reconciliation. And, uh, and I, I remember some, some really helpful advice that I got it at, a, at a marriage uh, kind of enrichment weekend, actually. And it was in the context of how to do conflict in your marriage well. And, mm. and um, the, the presenter kind of pitched the, the scenario of, of one party in the marriage being frustrated because the other was supposed to clean the kitchen but didn't. Um, and he, and, and the, the, he sort of put in front of us two scenarios, two ways that that conflict could go. One is the person just wanting to get get it off their chest and they kind of come down and they use you stuff and say you didn't do the kitchen and you upset me and you never does you're a slacker and you're lazy and I'm always doing everything around here and kind of <laughs> but really they, they're just expressing frustration and uh, the, the challenge and I guess the contrast was to not use you statements but to use I statements which is to mm. say look when I came down this morning and I, and I saw the kitchen not clean look I got a bit stressed because I now had extra things to do in my uh, in my day because I, I had to clean it and, and I also felt a little let down because I understood that it was going to be done and then I came down and it wasn't and, uh, and I just wanted to let you know that um, so that you could understand how that's affected me. Um, and that's a very different way. The first one, the person's going to get their defences up and go, but, 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 but. Mm. Uh, whereas in the other one, the other person's going to go, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't realise that I'd impacted you so much. Um, please forgive me. And look, I'll try and work on that in the future. A- and there is just some wisdom in that in using, like Proverbs 15.1 says, a, a soft word, a, a humble word, um, seeking to help the other person to see the impact of what they've done. Um, and using gentle I statements rather than you statements. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? And another thing you said in your little example is uh, you never or mm. you always. Never <laughs> and always are also words that you shouldn't use yeah. um, when you're expressing hurt. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, and I guess to follow on from that, the other thing that's probably worth saying is that once you've done that one-to-one raising an issue with someone, sometimes that works. And, and Matthew 18 talks about this, that if you go to your brother and you show them uh, the, the way that they have... Um, hurt you and they repent well then you've won your brother fantastic yeah, yeah. Um, but then the, the pattern that Matthew 18 lays out for us is sometimes that doesn't work and the person mm. doesn't mm. repent and you've done your best and mm. they, they still don't want to see what they've done wrong they don't want to apologise and, and so that's the point to bring someone else in with you um, yeah. and I guess one of our mistakes is rather than going to the person directly and saying hey, I need to let you know what, what, what's happened and how I'm feeling about it. Um, we, we skip that step and we go straight to the friend and we say, oh, you know, so-and-so, you wouldn't believe what they did to me. Yeah. And we, we talk straight to the friend and then yeah. we talk to a little group and then everyone knows about what's, <laughs> what's been done wrong except, except the, person for the person who's actually done the wrong thing. And Matthew 18 says, Look, start direct with the person, raise the issue with them. Um, then if you don't get the resolution that you need, then that's the time to take a friend back with you and, and, to have, uh, and then if that doesn't work, well, then that's a point where you might get more people back the church involved um, to, but the goal again is to, that that person would, would see their sin, they'd repent, and um, and it also helps you to if you've got other people involved. Maybe it is that you're not seeing it clearly, and and there is another side of the story, and that's where other people come in handy rather yep. than. But first step is the person. Yeah, and and maybe just to tweak that a little bit, perhaps the first step is actually to talk to God because this is hard. Like yeah. it is hard to express yourself well when mm. you're hurt. It is hard to rebuke sin. So praying, mm. but then talking to the person, and I think as you said very helpfully, Sam, um, with the motive, the goal to reconcile, 
uh, for reconciliation and for, for growth and maturity. Mm. Very good, Mike. That's been very helpful. Thanks if you're still listening at this long <laughs> sta- stage in the game. Well, well done. done. You've made it through. Um, Mike, before we finish, just a quick uh, point. Where are we heading in this coming week? Yeah, Proverbs chapter 8 is a fascinating chapter that talks about um, it's wisdom personified and the fact that wisdom has been around a long, long time and is really intertwined in the very fabric of creation. And so it's going to challenge us to think um, how important is wisdom to us in light of the fact that wisdom is so important to God and so important to creation. Fantastic. Well, keep read ahead. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8. Um, keep, keep sending your questions in. We, yeah, we love it. having them. Thanks for those who've texted in. We'll keep doing our best to, to answer them and we'll see you next week on The Extras. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>